morning as we look into Romans chapter 8, we're going to see four freedoms that we enjoy. And it's not because of a president. It's not because of military might or social programs, but because of the love of an almighty God. But you know, if you're not in Christ, you don't have any freedom, though you might think you do. If you're not in Christ, you're choosing to go to hell. That's your freedom, freedom to choose. We all have that freedom to choose. Welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. It is our hope that this message will encourage you, strengthen your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. And the title of this morning's message is just simply one word, freedom. We've been in Romans the past five weeks. This is week number six. In that early part of chapter one, the first message was titled by the name Mirror, Mirror. And Paul introduces himself there in that first chapter. He talks about the fact that he is obligated to both Jews and Greeks. That he's eager to preach. And that he is unashamed of the gospel. And remember we turn the mirror on ourselves and ask ourselves, are we eager to preach? Are we eager to share the good news? Do we feel obligated to do it? And are we unashamed like Paul was? In that second week, we looked into chapters 2 and 3 and saw how Paul explains very plainly how each and every one of us, all humanity, is sinful and in need of a Savior. And he went on to explain that there's no excuse for any of us. And there's no escape for any of us except through Jesus Christ, His only Son. King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus is. In that week three, we were in Romans chapter four. And we learned of the greatest discovery that you and I can ever make. It's when we discover that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And that's the greatest discovery that you and I can ever make. It's not a salvation by works. It's not by religious ritual or keeping the law. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus and Him alone. That's how we get salvation. And then in week four, we learned that Jesus is greater than anything you and I can ever face. He's greater than our sufferings. And we do have sufferings and we endure hardship when we become a Christian. And Jesus is greater than that. We learned also that He's greater than our sin. His blood covers all of our sins. And we learned that He's greater than our sentence, our death sentence that we fall under. When we commit sin, we're under a death sentence. Romans 6 and verse 23 says the wages of sin, the wages of sin is death. And we know that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God and therefore we're sentenced to die. But we learned that Jesus is greater even than that. Because the second half of Romans 6 and verse 23 says that the good news there that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And then last week we were in Romans chapter 7. We talked about our civil war. The civil war that rages deep inside each and every one of us when we become one of his children. Paul writes about it in verses 21 through 23 there of Romans chapter 7. He says, so I find this law at work when I want to do good. Evil is right there with me. 
For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. That's our civil war, talking about the war that's raging inside of us, where that new incorruptible spirit is housed in this same old body of corruptible flesh. And there's that war going on, that tug of war. That's where we get to this morning, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, such a wonderful chapter. A commentator by the name of Spencer called Romans, he described Romans in this way. He says, if Holy Scripture were an engagement ring, a golden engagement ring, if the whole canon of Scripture were a ring, the book of Romans would be the diamond. And chapter 8 of Romans would be the shine coming off that diamond. That's how you, Mr. Spencer described it. Another commentator said Romans chapter 8 is the high water mark in the entire book of Scripture. So we're going to read the whole chapter this morning. It's 39 verses. It'll take a couple of minutes. It's so packed with such wonderful message there that we need to read the whole chapter. Let's look there together. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Verse 9, you, have, who, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, have, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, but by its own choice, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. 
that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised from raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we search your word here, as we talk about the subject of freedom this morning and the freedom that we can have when we come to Jesus by faith, Lord, help me to adequately preach this message as I should. Hide me behind the cross and fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we ask you. Amen. In the early days of 1941, in, in January, that first week of January, was a week that saw Europe continue to be entangled and strangled by war. The British Naval Air Force bombed an uh, aircraft production facility in Bremen, Germany on the first day of January 1941. But Germany would return that favor in spades over the next two days, bombing Dublin, Ireland, capital of Ireland, Cardiff, Wales, which is the capital of Wales, and then also bombing there Bristol, England. On the 3rd of that month of January 1941, a new Gallup poll had been conducted in, in America, and it asked the Americans if the country's future, our country's future, Safety depended on whether or not England won the war. 68% said yes in that poll. And then on the night of January 6, 1941, 
Our President, Franklin Roosevelt, stood in front of the joint session of Congress and gave the State of the Union address that night. In that speech, he explained how America needed to be concerned about the conflict in Europe. He laid out the dangers that Germany posed to our country, even though we were not yet in the war. He suggested an increase in armament production to help England's effort. And that, coupled with some new economic things at home that he was coming up with and some social solutions, he explained all those and he said those would help secure four essential freedoms for our country and for those around the world. He laid out those freedoms in the speech that would be now called the Four Freedoms Speech. It's a very important speech in his presidency. Matter of fact, the four freedoms that he listed out are engraved on the wall at the FDR monument there in Washington. But those four freedoms that he laid out in front of the American people that night were the freedom of speech, freedom of worship, the freedom from want, and the freedom from fear. So this morning as we look into Romans chapter 8, we're going to see four freedoms that we enjoy being children of God. Once we come and we're in Christ, we enjoy four freedoms that I see in Romans 8 this morning. And it's not because of a president. It's not because of military might or social programs, but because of the love of an almighty God. The Bible teaches us that when we accept Jesus, that the Holy Spirit comes to live within our hearts. And let me give you some scriptures to back that up. 1 Corinthians 6 Verse 19, Paul writes to the Corinthians, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 14. That was in Sunday school this morning. Paul wrote to Timothy, Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 12. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And then from our own text we read this morning, Romans 8, verse 11. It mentions the Holy Spirit being within us in two places there in that one verse. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. So the Holy Spirit, when we come to Jesus by faith, the Holy Spirit moves in us. Now watch this. Because of that, 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, we learned it's in us. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that's the title of our message this morning. There is freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is. So just what are these four freedoms that we have laid out here for us in Romans 8? I think the first would be in the first verse there. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's freedom from condemnation. Now some of the later manuscripts that they translated from have some extra words after that, at the end of that first verse. And most of our Bibles have a footnote in it. I think the King James has those last few words in it, even though the first, the earliest two manuscripts that they can ever find don't have them included. They think it was maybe a scribe adding them in there by error. But some of them go on and say after, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of them go on and say, for those who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. 
I tend to believe that older manuscripts are better. That's just my thoughts on the matter. A lot of the biblical scholars that I read feel the same way. It's more conservative to, to feel that way. Think about it. We're saved from destruction. We're saved from eternal damnation by grace alone through faith alone. And so if you put those extra words in there like some of the translations do, it could change your view of that first verse a little bit. But we know it's by grace alone through faith alone. It's nothing that depends on us. We, we, we don't have anything to do with it other than to believe. When we come to Christ, we're free from condemnation, free from judgment. John 3, verse 17 for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. When you're under the blood of Christ, you're free from condemnation. Your sins are washed away. And i got a question for you. When Jesus died on the cross, had any of your sins been committed yet? No. None of us were alive back then. All of our sins that we have committed in our life were yet future when Christ died on the cross. So that says to me, and it says in Hebrews that He died once for all. That says to me and to you, the sins of our past and the sins that we commit today and the sins of our future are all covered under the blood of Jesus. Once for all. Because all of our sins were yet future back when He died on the cross. Standing at the cross, every single one of our sins was paid for at that time. And when we applied the blood to our lives by belief, that's when we were washed clean. Probably the best illustration of, of us, the, the, the words be, of us being in Christ, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The best illustration to illustrate that is in the Bible. Noah's Ark. When Noah and all his family there and the animals got brought into the ark. In chapter 7 of Genesis, it says the Lord shut him in. God sealed him in. That's a picture of what it's like to be in Christ Jesus. We're sealed with that promised Holy Spirit. It says that God shut him in. Noah was shut in. The water was shut out. The water represented the judgment of God poured out on the earth. The judgment couldn't get into them and they were shut in Christ. They were shut in that ark. And that's the picture of it is how it is with us. And it was covered on the inside and out with pitch. Now the, the Hebrew word for pitch can also be translated as atonement. Redemption price. Ransom. And so when we come to be in Christ, just like it says there in that first verse, we have freedom from condemnation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the first thing. We're free from condemnation. The second thing I'd have you to see, we're free from domination. Free from domination. Starting about verse 5, it talks about the sinful nature and how it can control persons. How their minds are are controlled by that sinful man. Sinful man is death, it says there in verse 6. And he goes on through there, all the way through. In verse 12, it's there, it says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. In other words, we're free from the domination of that old nature, that old spirit. We don't have to abide by its calling and its rule anymore. There's no domination of the flesh. We have the right 
once we come to him by faith to say we're not going to give in to that anymore. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13 talks about the fact that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind and God is faithful. He'll let you not be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted he'll provide you a way out so we can endure it. And how many times have I in my life and maybe you in your life tried to cover up my own sin and say, well, I'm going to quit doing that. I need to quit doing that. And then two or three days later, you're doing right back the same thing you did before. It's like trying to mop a floor with a dirty mop. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. When we try to cover up ourselves and be stand on our own two feet, it's not good enough. It's like filthy rags. The blood of Jesus makes us clean. We finally lay our sin at Jesus' feet and say, God, I, I need help with this. I can't do this on my own. That's when he cleans us up. That's when that civil war can be fought and won. It rages between us and our old selves. There's freedom from domination. There's no need for a believer to be defeated. There's no need for a believer to be dominated by the sinful flesh. He can yield his body to the spirit and by faith overcome that old nature. And it says the spirit of life will free you from that. It'll free you from that old self. The third thing I think we need to see, the third freedom that we can enjoy, freedom from frustration or discouragement. We look around the world we live in and there's a lot of stuff to be frustrated about. A lot of stuff to be discouraged about. Sin flaunts itself down the street on every street corner. Sinful lifestyles that God calls an abomination march down the street proudly under the banner of rainbow flag. And God calls it an abomination. Murder rates on the rise. Teen pregnancy at an all-time high. Drugs killing our young people. And no longer can two young people disagree and fist fight and shake hands and go home alive. They have to pull a gun on each other. Somebody ends up dead. And that's frustrating for us to watch. But we can be freed from that frustration. We can be free from that discouragement. Paul reminds us there that we can. He says there, our present sufferings, and this is verse 18, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be, will be revealed in us. He says all creation groans for the end. It says there, later on on there, that, that those of us who are children of God, we groan. And it says the Holy Spirit groans. The Holy Spirit groans with words that cannot be uttered because of the weight of our sufferings. But the good news is that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us right now, praying for us. And He reminds us in that great verse, verse 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. And then look at verse 29 again. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. You know, He knew, God looked, looked from eternity past, He knew who would come to Him. He foreknew us. And he had a plan. He predestined that we would be conformed to His Son's image when we come to Him by faith. And He called us he brought us into the family. When we come in, we're sanctified. 
through that process, that lifelong process, and then we'll be glorified. We don't have to worry about discouragement or frustration. He provides that. We sing that old hymn that we'll sing as our invitation here in just a little bit. Why should I be discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? A constant friend is he. His eyes on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. We'll sing that here in just a little bit is our invitation. But we can be freed from discouragement, free from that disappointment when we come to Jesus. And the fourth and final thing is freedom from fear of separation. Look there again in verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then start at verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. He loves us so much. John 3.16, we all know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's a promise that his word makes to us. If we're in Christ Jesus, we can experience that freedom that only he can provide. Freedom from condemnation. There's no condemnation. Chapter 8 and verse 1 says it. For those who are in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. We have freedom from domination of that old sinful nature. The sin in ourselves cannot have dominion over us anymore. We can have freedom from frustration, freedom from discouragement. And the fourth and final thing, freedom from fear of separation. But you know, if you're not in Christ, you've got a lot to fear. You don't have any freedom, though you might think you do. If you're not in Christ, you're choosing to go to hell. That's your freedom. Freedom to choose. We all have that freedom to choose. And I trust that everyone in this room has made the right choice to trust Christ. But maybe there's some who will look later and watch later that haven't made that choice. And you think you've got freedom, but you really don't have the freedom that you can have when you come to Jesus. You come to Him this morning. He's knocking on the door of your heart. Let Him in. Or maybe there's somebody that says, well, I'm a, I'm a child of God, but I don't feel free. I get caught up under some of these discouragement. A feeling of separation. The old nature is dominating me. I, I have that. I'm just entangled with that. It's because there's some sin in your life. Maybe you need to let it go. Come to Him this morning. Lay it at His feet. Lay it aside. Walk away from it. And enjoy the true freedom that only Jesus can provide. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're grateful for the freedom that we can have we trust Jesus. Father, help us to, to know that, to live into that freedom that you freely give. We'll come to Jesus by faith. Father, help us to do that. Help us to draw closer to you. Help us to share that news with others. We come in contact as we leave this place this week. It's in your son Jesus' name we ask you. Amen.